The Washington Post wrote a uh, comment on the re- reviewing a revived movie, The Planet of the Apes. On the original Planet of the Earths, it opened up with an astronaut named Taylor recording a voice from his spaceship, which by his calculations had traveled many light years from Earth and far into the future. He's fed up with the moral failures and petty cruelties of his home planet and fled it for space. His message back to Earth was with contempt. Let me read it to you. There's man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother. At the end of the picture in the scene, many critics have called one of the most powerful in film. Taylor discovers that humanity had destroyed itself and he dropped to his knees before the Statue of Liberty, which is ruined half buried on a beach. His worst fears about humanity have been realized. They destroyed themselves. He pounds the sand and howls, you maniacs, you blew it up. Today there is enough nuclear weapons in this world to destroy all human life, plant life as well. And now we have North Korea who has the capacity to use nuclear weapons. Listen to our Lord in Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22. The Lord knew what was going to happen. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be again. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh could be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The Lord will not allow the world to be destroyed by humanity or by the devil until his redemptive plan is completed. When a calamity happens to us, we talk of it as an act of God, but it could be the act of the devil. He's not allowed to do all that he would like to do in his destructiveness, but he is a vicious enemy. In 1 John 5.19, we're told we know that we are of God. We have assurance that God has brought us into salvation and that we are of God. And we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The corruption of the world has been initiated by the devil and he is an active foe of God. When I was a student at the Nyack Missionary College, I heard that there was an exorcism going on. One of the students had been possessed by the enemy. The leader was a professor who had been a missionary. He had a formula of dealing with demons. He, first of all, when she would go into a trance, You could see her eyes were ice cold, full of hate. And he would say, did Jesus come in the flesh? 
and you'd hear a man's voice out of it. I, I witnessed this. No. And then he would ask the name of the demon. And the demon would say something like, Murder! It was really quite an experience. And the leader then would say, In the name of Jesus, leave this woman. And a struggle would break out. Eventually, the demon would leave with a scream. But then another demon would pop up and call itself legion. It just seemed like there was no end to it. Well, a legion, a Roman legion, could be 6,000. Well, when I heard of this, I was, I went up and I was surrounded by students and, and I prayed in the name of Yeshua. And we could feel like heaven's power was coming down on these demons. And they shouted out, stop him. Stop him from praying. And the leader stopped me. He said, stop him. Now, that poor woman was never fully delivered. Later on, he said to me, I should never have stopped your prayer. It wasn't me, it was the prayer. But I was distracted. You see, there's a difference between someone who's possessed by a few demons, but a legion. He could have been working on that woman for a long, long time before she would be fully delivered. Delivered. Well, I know that now, but I didn't know at that time. First John 3a tells us why Jesus came. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And remember, no one could resist his voice of authority. I have three points I want to make. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of deception. See, Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies, and he was a liar. And it was his language of deception that had an effect. But he came to destroy the devil's work of deception. Secondly, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of sin. See, he was the one who tempted Eve and Adam, and they accepted his deception and fell into sin. And then Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of death. So let's look at that first point. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of deception. The devil is still deceiving people. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 13. Listen to this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So there is an inspiration behind the evil, and that comes from these demonic powers. Now the word wiles 
is the word I want to focus on. It means a deceptive trick. If you're not careful, he will cause you to do something you think is for God when actually it's against God. It's a wicked trap. Well, on one occasion when I was new in the ministry, the devil tricked me. I got to tell you about this. It began when I broke my arm and I had to take a leave of absence from my ministry. An elderly missionary who I loved and respected told me of his son, who was an evangelical preacher, who used hypnosis for some marvelous results in his pastoral counseling. And then he assured me that this power was of God. So I am naturally a curious person. I want to learn all that I can about anything. And I want to be able to help people overcome bad habits. So I went to the library and I researched hypnosis. I wanted to know what it was about. And I didn't accept fully what the missionary told me. But I read in one book of clairvoyance under hypnosis. The devil set his trap for me by appealing to my desire to help people and serve God. As my arm improved, I began accepting opportunities to preach. I was holding meetings 300 miles from my home, and I was invited to a person's house for fellowship after a meeting. And I got on this topic that I was investigating, and this woman came over to me to my chair, said, "Can you hypnotize me?" And before I could say no or yes, she fell on the floor in a trance. So being curious, I'm thinking, this woman, maybe this transvoyance is something that is important. Anyway, I started to test her. And I said, can you see heaven? Yes, she said. And she talked about the beauty of heaven, the music of heaven. And I thought, oh, this is not true. So I asked her for another test. You can see I was in deep water there, not realizing it. I said, I want you to go to my home. She never was at my home before. She didn't know the address. She said, I'm going in the back door. And she explained everything about the kitchen. There was a table I had put on some, it was actually a door, but I put on uh, legs on the right side and the kitchen sink and the uh, stove was on the left side. And she went in and I said, see, look at the bedrooms. And she said, nobody's there. I said, that can't be. Twelve at night. And she went in the living room and she said, the rug is rolled up against the door. Now, my wife always told me if she was going to leave the house, she went to a mother house, a parent's house. And I thought, this can't be, I'm going to call her, this is a sham. 
I called Leah and her mother answered the phone and said, they're all in bed, it's 12 o'clock. I said, I gotta talk to Lee. I said, Lee, did you row up the rug up against the door of the living room? She said, yes. I painted the room and I did. And I explained to her why I was calling her. She said, don't you ever do that again. And I didn't realize I was dealing with a demonic power. And uh, I just sensed something was not right about it. And I remember praying to the Lord about it. Let me share the prayer that I prayed. Anyway, um, I said, Lord, I'm not sure about the use of hypnosis and pastoral counseling, whether it is from you, the devil, or a natural phenomenon. I can't say at this time, but this much I know. I want to be faithful and true to you. Since I don't feel right about getting involved in it, I will proceed no further unless you lead me otherwise. Lead me in thy truth. Well, the Lord did lead me. You can't use hypnosis. It's not of God. It may be a natural phenomenon, but the devil can use it. I then came across a book written by R.A. Torrey about true spiritual power. It spoke of the power of the word of God, the power of prayer, the power of the spirit, and the power of a surrendered life. I had my answer, and I yielded my life and ministry to be in submission to God's authority and power. It didn't take me too long to realize that Satan had set a trap to ensnare me. He wanted to destroy my life and ministry. The Lord delivered me from the evil one and has given me 60 additional years of blessed ministry. Once I settled the issue of true spiritual power, God was ready to use me to serve him in some wonderful ways. Now, I realized that Jesus was still with me through my detour and did not let me go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Yeshua, his son. He didn't give up on me. He allowed me to go through that lesson. But I want to tell you, I believe in the power of the word of God, the power of the spirit, to bring conviction, to bring light, to bring sanctification, and the power of a surrendered life. So for 60 years, I've been on the right track. Jesus is the truth, and we can trust him to lead us so we do not allow the devil to deceive us. Listen to 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. That's the answer to the evil. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus, the Messiah. This is the true God and eternal life. A major theme in my preaching and counseling has always been to encourage people to seek and follow God's leading. God wants us to know his will for our life and what is best for us. 
But I have witnessed on occasion some tragedies of those who did not listen to the Lord. One of the saddest memories occurred early in my ministry during the Vietnam War. A young man, John Russell, who came from the congregation, informed me that God had called him to the ministry. He applied to Nyack Missionary Training College, was accepted for the fall. I said, John, that's wonderful. Let's thank God for this call. We prayed. A few weeks later, he came to me and said, I've decided to join the Marines before I go to college. I said, John, God has a priority on your life, and it wouldn't be to join the Marines during these difficult days. But John said, don't worry, Pastor, I know what I'm doing. He went off to basic training. After basic training, he came back and He was rather sad. He said, Pastor, I know that I did wrong not following the Lord's leading. And I know God's revealed to me that I'm not coming back alive. But let my parents know that I'll meet them in heaven, that God has forgiven me. Well, he went off to Vietnam. The first act of duty was to go into a helicopter loaded with ammunition They wanted to take to a base camp. But the enemy surrounded the camp on the hills. And as the helicopter was coming down, they blew it out of the sky. And they could find nothing of John. Now, I don't think God was punishing him. I think God was saying to him, this is my life for you. This is the path. Follow it. And the devil came along and said, you're a patriot, and the country needs you. You can always go to college. Unfortunately, John went the wrong direction. What a sad story. So if God leads you to get an education because he has a special plan for your life, Don't listen to the devil who would say, hey, that's so much money, you don't have the money for it. Or you're not very educated, or you don't have the talent for college education. I know the devil uses that, because he tried to use that on me. My own pastor, when I told him I was going to go back and finish my high school and go on to college and seminary, he said, no, no, he said, the Lord's coming back and Five years, just get out and keep preaching on the street corners. And that was 1946. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't listen to my pastor. And if the Lord says to you, you know that woman you're going with? She's not a godly woman. Break up with her. Don't let the devil discourage you from doing the will of God, because he knows what's best for you. I wish I could tell you how many men and women in my study said I married the wrong person. My parents warned me. People told me, but I wasn't listening. So if God tells you to do something, be sure the devil will counteract his leading. But the Lord can work out 
your life if you trust him. So choose wisely whom you will trust. See, we're in a spiritual battle. You know, you think of what's going on in the world today. How could people do what they do? In Syria, in Africa, in Europe, the crime, that's the works of the enemy. So trust the Lord. So he came to defeat the work of the devil in deception by giving truth. Secondly, Yeshua came to destroy the devil's work of sin. Yeshua has provided a forgiveness, a salvation for our entire life. I remember telling you that when I was on the conviction about being a sinner and the knowledge of the gospel, the good news of God, I almost didn't accept the Savior because there was another voice that said, oh, if you're a sinner and you accept Jesus, he'll forgive you for your past sins, but you're going to still sin and your sin will be worse for you because there's no forgiveness after you're a believer. And I didn't know what to do. And just then, God led the pastor who was preaching, giving the invitation, saying, when you accept Yeshua, he forgives you for your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. And I said, that's good enough for me. And I found in 74 years as a believer that that is so true. Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11 explains the basis for our forgiveness. Then I heard a loud voice speaking in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the end, to death. So it wasn't, it's not our perfection that keeps us or saves us. None of us are perfect. We may improve with sanctification, but until we meet the Lord, we're going to be imperfect. It's the blood of the Lamb the sacrificial lamb of God that brings all this forgiveness. This is what's so good about the news. It's the word of our testimony, the testimony of Yeshua. We testify of his being the eternal son of God, that he died on the cross, was buried, and physically rose from the dead on the third day, ascended to be with God at the right hand of heavenly God. He intercedes on our behalf. That's our testimony. And we love not our lives, even unto death. You know, the Bible talks of being a living sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. But here's what we discover as we look back. His will was the best will for us. I got far more out of my redemption than I ever put into it. And so that's the way to overcome it. 
I love the, this poem, My Advocate. I've given it to you a couple of times, but it's worth again. I sinned and straightway post-haste. Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod, has sinned, tis truly, that he has named thy name, but I demand his death. For thou hast said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing can a righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night. And every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand, before whom's glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. The guilty sinner dies. But wait, his guilt were all transferred to me, and that I paid his penalty. Behold my hands, my side, my feet. One day I was made sin for him and died that he might be presented faultless at your throne. And Satan flew away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. You see, the devil's very frustrated. He would accuse us but he can't get anywhere with God because it's God who justifies. Who is he that condemneth? God spares us. You know, I thank God he kept me. I was saved at 14. Never committed adultery. I'm not a thief. I never murdered anyone. But I know I've done things. I've made some great mistakes. But it's all washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, he's a frustrated accuser, so instead of accusing us before God, he accuses us to us. Especially when you get to be a senior and you look back and say, why did I do that? How could I be so dumb? Now, the reason is he wants us to feel guilt and shame so that we avoid going to the Father. You see, the devil fears our relationship with God, the relationship by grace. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers. He's dead now, of course. He was of the last, last, I think in the late, late 1800s. But he wrote a devotional, and I want to read what he said. Lamenting Christian, why weepest thou? Art thou mourning over thine own corruptions. Look to thy perfect Lord and remember thou art complete in him. Thou art in God's sight as perfect as if thou hast never sinned. Nay, more than that, the Lord our righteousness hath put a divine garment upon thee, so that thou hast more than the forgiveness of man. Thou hast the righteousness of God. O thou who art mourning by reason of inbred sin and depravity, remember none of thy sins can condemn thee. Thou hast learned to hate sin. And that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. 
whenever a believer does something that displeases the Lord, it hurts him deeply. He mourns over it that he could offend the Lord. Thou hast learned to hate sin, but thou hast has learned also to know that sin is not thine. It was laid upon Christ's head. Thy standing is not in thyself, it is in Christ, the Messiah. Thine acceptance is not in thyself, but in thy Lord. Thou art as much accepted of God today with all that thy sinfulness as thou wilt be when thou standest before his throne, free from all corruption. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. You know, uh, Spurgeon had quite insight. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God hath made Yeshua to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Someone asked me a question. How could I say that if you don't believe in Jesus, you will be lost forever. I replied, don't blame Yeshua for your lostness. The entire human race is lost already because of sin. We are already the enemies of God and need to be reconciled. Jesus is the solution and not the problem. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he warned his enemies. If you do not believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, and the atoning Savior, according to the prophets, you shall die in your sins. But if you die in your sins without forgiveness, you will be lost forever. So Yeshua came to destroy the devil's work of sin. What a wonderful gospel. That's good news. Where sin is saved by the grace of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. You get excited when I think about this. Thirdly, Yeshua came to destroy the devil's work of death. He came to deliver us from the fear of death. You know, I'm looking forward to the Lord when he says to me, come on home. I can't wait to see Jesus. I don't want to leave my wife. So I take day by day, but... Look look with me at Hebrews 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partakers of flesh and blood, Yeshua himself likewise shared in the same. He actually took upon himself flesh and blood to be a sin sacrifice, that through his death he might destroy him who hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People without the Lord have great fear. Some years ago, an unhappy young woman came to see me in my office. She had just graduated an Ivy League college. And she said to me, I'm an agnostic. And uh, I've studied agnosticism. And I have notebooks where I've written all the arguments for being an agnostic. 
But my parents now claim to become Christians. At, they became believers at the presidential prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. And she was not too happy about that. Well, she came back on another occasion and she said, you know, I had a dream that I had become a Christian and I experienced in my dream joy, confidence for the first time in my life. I said, Karen, your subconscious is smarter than your conscience. I figured that God was working with her. That's the only time she felt joy in her heart when she thought of becoming a believer. I, she was moving to Kansas, and I said, whenever you come to the place where you're ready to accept Jesus, call me day or night. I'd like to lead you into the kingdom of God. And I forgot about that. A number of months went by, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a call. And this woman's voice said, I'm ready. I said, you want to have the wrong number? <laughs> she said, I'm Karen. I'm ready to accept Jesus. So I prayed with her on the phone, and she became quite a joyous Christian. She said, I always feared the theories that were taught us, doomed theories, that humanity could end by nuclear war or by environmental pollution and by death. But she has joy of eternity. What a wonderful answer. I said, what happened? She said, well, my roommate took me to an evangelistic meeting when God convicted me of my of Christ's righteousness and, and the gospel. I went home and I looked up my notebooks on, on agnosticism, but it made no sense to me, so I called you. What amazing transformation that was. So he has come to deliver us from the fear of death. Billy Graham was asked once, are you afraid to die? He said, no, I'm afraid of dying. I mean, I don't want to have Alzheimer's. I don't want to have all the terrible things that happen as you get older. But I'm not afraid to die. I'm, in fact, I'm looking forward to it. Who knows? That wonderful moment when the Lord says, come on home. And I'll meet Jesus for the first time and that's face to face. So I just trust that you will listen to the Jewish prophet in Isaiah 61.10. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. This gospel is in the Tanakh. It's written in, by Moses and by the prophets. And you know, when your eyes are open to that, you can't help but say yes to them. But only God can bring you into that point of conviction. I'm so happy I can share that with you. What a wonderful Savior we have. 
If you haven't yet accepted him, take the step of faith. Ask him to come into your life. It will make a great difference. For he's come to deliver us from the deception of the devil. Boy, he's a liar. He's behind all the lies that you, in society. He came to deliver us from the devil's work of sin by forgiving us and reconciling us with the Father. And he came to deliver us from the fear of death that we would live forever in the glorious place of God's kingdom. I'm going to pray now. I just trust that you will, in your heart, reach out to the Lord Jesus. He will meet you and transform your life in a moment of time. Father, we have told the congregation of the terrible evil that's behind the world's sinfulness. We've told them of the victory that we have in Jesus. And we pray that it will be burned in their hearts and that they will be true disciples of the Lord. We ask, Lord, that you will work through your spirit. I can speak the words, but it must take, takes the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and salvation. We love you, Lord. We love these people here. Pray your blessing on them and on the work of the ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.